Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer a prayer. I had a good week and then a tough week. Uh, so that's just part of the authenticity of the, that we talked about a couple weeks ago, just letting you know. So I'm going to pray for God's focus. Uh, we had a good week in that Pastor Doug and I did a lot of re- annual ministry reviews, kind of evaluations at the, uh, that's what the month of October is. And by the way, your staff, you're very blessed. I don't know if you know how blessed you are, the staff you have. They, Doug and I got to share what we've seen them do, how we've seen them grow, and, and how we believe God is going to grow them in the future. And just a wonderful, glorious time to sit and talk and tears, but they're always good ones. And so just so you know, I've been, on, I've been in situations where the staff isn't like that, and this, you've got a good one. Um, but then there's hurting people and lonely people and lonely hurting people, and just a hard week. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer a prayer for me, but I'm going to ask you to join me because I take this, I take this uh, pre-sermon prayer very seriously, and I hope you've gathered that over the years, but uh, it, this isn't my message for you. It's God's message for us. So when I'm praying that God give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive what he wants us, he wants us to see and hear and receive. And I think all of us believe that, that we want to hear from God. And the hard one is we want to hear from God even when God tells us something we don't want to hear. And there might be a little bit of that in here. And that's, I don't like those because it comes out of my mouth. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to pray. And let's see where God leads us. Almighty God, you are almighty and we are not, and we bless you that we're not in charge of the world that we're a part of. We are so thankful that you are patient and kind and generous and gracious and merciful and just and holy, perfect, and that you love us and that you pursue us and that you join us in our humanity. Lord, I need your focus and your passion and your heart for your people. I also need your heart for people that don't yet know you. So I'm asking for you to show up today. And what I have planned to say, if you don't want it said, I don't want to say it. But if there is something you want said that I haven't thought of, make it clear that it's from you. And I will speak your word for your people today, to this day. And Lord, for all of us, give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear, even if we don't want to hear it. And Lord, soften our hearts so that we can receive your good word that changes us and makes us new. In Jesus' name, through the spirit that lives within us, for the glory of God our Father, we pray. Amen. My friend Bert Bolt, who's sitting right over here <clears throat> in August of 2010, used an illustration and a message, and I'm stealing it. Um, I'm changing a little bit because this, the, way, the way it's told, I think the way it was written, it makes the pastor the hero, and I'm just unwilling to do that. So I'm gonna change that pastor to elder and kind of... I'm not changing the point, but I'm changing the setup of the story a little bit. Um, the man in a church was an elder, and these elders, these group of elders, they had fellowship families in their church. So there might be 12 families that one elder is to oversee, care for, take care of, that kind of thing. And they had their, their, uh, their, their elder gathering, and they realized that someone in one elder's fellowship family hadn't been coming to church. He was sporadic before that, and then he just had, he's been non-existent for a while. And so they convinced this elder that he needs to make a call, show up, and and, um, and encourage this man to come back to church. Okay, a little awkward, I get it. So the guy makes a phone call and he calls the guy and he sets it up, 
Wednesday, two o'clock. It's the middle of winter, by the way. Um, and it was a Sunday afternoon when, they, when he made the call. And so he's got a couple of days to seek the Lord, ask him how I might approach this. I don't want to shame him. I don't want to guilt him. But it's good for him to be in fellowship with other believers. Meanwhile, the man who's getting the visit, he's, he's got three days to rehearse all the reasons he's not in church. You know, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. All you want is my money. No one seems to care about anybody but themselves and all the lists that we've all heard before. So as Wednesday comes along, the elder shows up to the door, knocks on the door. The man answers the door. They shake hands. They exchange pleasantries. And there's two leather chairs and a fireplace with a fire burning. And so the elder comes and sits in one of the chairs. The, other, the guy whose home it was sits in, the, sits in the other. And the elder decided not to talk. He just sat there for a while. And they both kind of, as you do when there's a fire burning, they're kind of hypnotic. They both turn their attention to the fire. Five 10 minutes goes by and the elder stands up and there, you know, the, the, the fire tools are right here in that stoker or poker, the one with the pointer and the hook on it, you know, that you kind of move it. He grabs it and he looks at the guys like, is it okay if I, yeah, go ahead. And so he, <clears throat> he, the fire's been burning for a while and there was a log that, you know, a couple inches around is about that long and it had burned through right here. So about three inches left on the side there. And, and so that piece had kind of he was all alone. And so this, the elder kind of takes that stoker and he moves that ember, that, that burning piece of wood that's hot and he moves it off to the side and he sits back down about 10 minutes, maybe 15 go by and the fire's still burning, but that one ember that he had separated had turned gray and then black and had grown cold or cool. And the elder stood up and shook the guy's hand and left. And anyone that's a follower of Christ can recognize what's going on there. That he's saying it's not good to be separated from the fire. You lose your heat, you lose your fire. You lose actually what you're meant to be about. So he was, without guilt, without shame, he encouraged this man to come back into the fire, into the fellowship of believers. That's a good story. And, and, and it should stand all by itself. But, and this is the thing that Pastor Burt I watched one of his messages this week from years ago because I've always liked the vo- his voice. And, and he brought this to the attention. I want to make sure that I give him credit for it. But he said, you know, we look at that and we see that and we like that. And you can't be separated from the rest of them or you'll cool off all by yourself. But you know what else a fire needs? More wood. Because all of that fire will die out. In my last days with those embers and you can brush off the ash and put a new log on there and soak it a little bit and it'll catch something else on fire. But if you leave it alone with no new fuel long enough, it will die. So will the church. Just so you know, if someone has known Jesus and been in the church for 40 years, you probably don't know a non-believer. And a church that has 70 to 80% of their people that have been in church for 40 years, that church will die in 20 because you just don't have new fuel. Now, I'm saying that because it's New Members Sunday and we have had people choose to join this church and we promise to do all that we can to help these folks live their life in Christ. And they promise to do the same with us. And we're better off with new fuel. And hopefully they're better off joining this community. Now, before we get to this core value of reproduction, I want to tell you one more story. Back when I was still on Facebook, this was May of, I I quit in May of, of 2016 because that was, was that the last election? 
was it 2006, the elections into, I hated watching people that I love hate each other. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but online stuff is usually very uplifting and helpful. And opinions and facts sound exactly the same. But this obviously very select group of people that, that they just were being angry with each other. And I just went, I'm, I'm done. But right before I got off, I, there was, a, and I'll just call her Jackie, someone from my former church who had kind of walked away from the church long before I left there. So it wasn't because, I, you know, it wasn't like, oh, Trent can't be here, so I'm not going to church. It wasn't anything like that. But her friends were trying to, to convince her to come back to church. And she decided to post on Facebook, like, this is what they're, why, why would I go back to church? And all the reasons why she shouldn't. And then there's a bunch of people that are like, yeah, those hypocrites and they don't understand and they're, they're not accepting enough. All the stuff you would expect, all those beautiful, uplifting, um, encouraging and accountable things. And then I saw, I kept watching this string and I'm like, do I say something? Do I say something? Because I'm going to be the pastor that everyone's going to attack. And, and someone did something glorious. And they said, maybe, Jackie is what I'm calling her, maybe they want you to come back to church because they're not whole without you. Maybe it's because you bring something to the body of Christ that no one else can bring if you're not there. There are some good works that God has created in advance for you to do and no one else. I'm like, that is beautiful to say it's not about what you should do, come back to church or else. It's basically saying, if you don't come back to church, it's or else for us. We miss something. I think that's beautiful. And if we would change our idea of people that are antagonistic toward faith, antagonistic toward the church and go, if they were here, we would be better. That's God's intent. Imagine the apostles when Jesus, when Jesus, he rose from the dead and he meets the 11 because the one had caned himself and, and he gives them the, 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 the great commission. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I say to you, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit. And then he ascends to the father and, and they're like, oh yes. And then they gather together and they're like, oh, we got to remember everything he ever said. We got to remember everything he ever taught us. We got to remember what his heart was like. And we're going to, and maybe Maybe one day when he sends the Holy Spirit, which he promised, then, then we'll be more equipped and he'll show us even more. And if we spend the next 20 or 30 years hanging on to each other and making sure that we get it, then maybe one day we'll have something to share. If they would have done that, they all would have died before we heard and we're all doomed. Because it, the gospel, Christianity, isn't for Christians. It's for Christ and his glory. And so he wants us to have his heart, the heart that he has for us, he also has for those who don't yet know him. And he wants to give us his heart for those who don't yet know him. So we have this, this core value, this value that we're gonna keep putting in front of ourselves over and over and over again. And it's called reproduction. And we've talked about changing the name to multiplication, because, but when we think of multiplication, it's more corporate. We're gonna multiply churches, we're gonna multiply leaders. But reproduction, if you have kids, you didn't do that corporately. You did that with two. Right? So we're gonna, this, this kind of this reproduction piece kind of feels like it's individual or at least familial. So let me read it. And I'm gonna try to read it what I, what, I, what I think the passion of Christ is. The purpose of an apple tree is not simply to produce apples, nor another apple tree, but, the, but an orchard of fruit bearing apple trees. Imagine if God in the garden had put one tree, and I know, I mean, I know it's, it's an old joke, but the, the, we always think that Eve took an apple, right? And the forbidden fruit, the, not, no. Because it said she was willing to risk eternity. There's no way that was for an apple. Kale, 
No, it said it looked good for food, so that wouldn't be it. If God had created an apple tree that was, whose sole purpose was to produce apples so that people could eat them, then there's one apple tree on the planet. He didn't make anything to just be one. Nothing. Everything that's alive, species, uh, plant, and it doesn't matter, it reproduces. It makes more of itself. That's the point of being alive. We believe that Christians are to seek to establish intentional relationships with others, hoping to earn the right to be heard. But reproduction doesn't end with a new Christian commitment. Our goal is to bring people to Christ so that they will help others come to Christ. See, we get this from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, and I like the passage, um, uh, and I like the heart that Paul has, because Paul, one of his spiritual children was Timothy. He, he led him to Christ, he raised him up in Christ, he trained him in Christ, and then he sent him off in Christ. And he says this to him in, uh, in chapter 2, uh, 2 Timothy 2, and I'm going to read 1 and 2, because I want you to see the heart and the idea that this is about grace. You then, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. There are four generations of Christians represented in that one verse, 2 Timothy 2.2. Take these things you've heard from me, Paul to Timothy, and trust them to reliable people who will in turn be able to teach others. Imagine if the disciples had decided not to share it. Okay, Christ would have raised up others just like he did with Paul. He appeared to him. But, but imagine if you've been given something as, as, as valuable as the, the love of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Imagine if you've been given something so valuable that you hold on to it yourself. That is not Christ's desire. It's not Christ's heart. And honestly, folks, as Christians, if we live like that, We're going to grow cold. And we're going to read a passage from Colossians. But before that, not before we read it, but before I get to that passage, I want you to see the heart that Paul has. Remember Paul, right? We we talked about him all summer long. Remember his heart. He went around the known world three times. He suffered horrible things. He was whipped. He was, he was shipwrecked. He was, he, was, he, was, uh, he was snake bit. He, he, he was jailed. He was, he was beaten. Just everywhere he went, they wanted him out. And he, he showed up and he, he led people to Christ. He grew up leaders and then he left. And those people grew up leaders and grew up the church and then they sent others out. Colossa, the church of Coloss- the Colossian church, they, they, Paul never met them. So someone else that he led to Christ and then, or, or that, that some one of the churches that he planted led to Christ, they grew up and then they were sent and they led people to Christ in Colossa. So Paul is in prison in Rome and, and he's writing to encourage this church he's never met. It'd be like me sending, sending, sending a, a, a pastoral letter and an encouragement and some rebuke to somewhere in the Gambia that I've never been. They're not going to receive that well, but he's an apostle. And I want you to remember that Paul, when he was before, he was in prison for a couple of years and he's brought before King Agrippa and, and he, he proclaims the gospel, Acts chapter 26, and, and he proclaims it. It's wonderful. And then Agrippa says, Paul, do you really think that in such a short amount of time you can convince me to become a Christian? Remember that message? Remember that passage? What's Paul's response? Long or short, meaning how long it would take. Long or short, I hope that all of you will one day be what I am except for the chains. So even when people are trying to kill him, Paul's heart is that they know Jesus. 
Colossa, he knows they know Jesus and he wants them to see who they are and whose they are. So I'm gonna read from chapter three a little bit just so you get the, the, the feel of Paul's intent here. Therefore, as God's chosen people, Holy, H-O-L-Y, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love because that binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's, that's the heart that Paul has for the church in Colossae. And then he's imprisoned in Rome. So this is after he communicates to Agrippa. They send him off to Rome. He's jailed. And he's probably going to be executed. But he has the secret service of Caesar guarding him. And he's allowed to take visitors. So he's speaking to and proclaiming the gospel to people, the, the, the most important, the most powerful people in the world. And he sends this to, church, to the church. And he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim it, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, Paul is a great theologian, and we've talked before with Apollos, and, and that Apollos was a great and wonderful and eloquent speaker, and Paul wasn't so much, but he was tenacious, and he went wherever God told him to go, and he led more people to Christ than anyone we know of. It's amazing. And he's saying to the people, pray, even while I'm in prison, before I die, ask God to open doors, and that if I get the chance, if I've earned the right, that I do it well. That's a great thing. And then he takes that idea about himself, pray for me, and he says, you too. It reads like this. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. And we could go, yeah, we've got to be those people who are after. Get it. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. God's heart is for his church, and his church is for the world. And you know people who don't know that God loves them, adores them, pursues them, and saves them. Are you praying that God open a door? Are you asking if God, if you've earned the right to share with them your faith? Are you hoping to make the most of every opportunity you have with someone who may not yet know how much God loves them? Are you making sure that you're being careful in every situation to look for the opportunity to have a conversation that speaks of grace? God loves those who don't yet know he loves them. And you know some of the people that don't yet know him. They don't know he loves them. 
Who's going to tell them? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but I'm asking you this. In your life, when you look back, not counting your own children, can you name one person who knows Jesus that wouldn't have if you weren't in their lives? One person whose eternal address has changed because God chose to use you in their lives. Now, God's going to get them anyway. Whether you are participating or not, but that God would use you, that is your calling. So has he? If not, why not? You have a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, an enemy that God loves dearly and they don't know it. And if you treat them as an enemy, they think that's how God sees them. See, if you think about it, let's say a husband and a wife are arguing with one another. Let's say they split up. There's lots of circumstances out there. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine in the car the other day about his dad and his mom. And he said, if I have the chance, I'm gonna say to my dad this. Dad, you have a choice to love her as your wife, love her as your neighbor, or love her as your enemy. Those are your three options. But really, the option is one. Love her. So if you have an enemy, you have a friend, you have a neighbor, you have a coworker, your option is love them in the name and for the sake of Jesus. That's who Christians are. And there's lots of other things in the other messages this morning that I've used Lots of other ways. I got kind of hyper. I know it surprises everyone. We'll call it passion. But I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stop it right there because I think you see and I hope you feel what God wants you to feel. Hurt for lost people. And I'm gonna, I started off with an illustration that I'm not going to make pastors look the hero, but I will let bass fishermen look the hero. True story. You can check it out. If you dig through CNN's online archives, you'll find it. May 26, 2002, Memorial Day weekend, opening weekend of bass season. A barge pilot passed out and hit a bridge on the Arkansas River, one of the spans going over I-40. This accident dropped a 600-foot span of the bridge 62 feet into the very swift-flowing and very cold water. 11 people and a trailer full of show horses died as their cars and 18-wheelers dove over the edge of the missing span, one piling on top of the next. Now, if you know anything about bass fishing, especially in a river, you'll know that especially in the spring and later in the fall, there's a funnel that happens around those big, I call them turnbuckles. I know that's not what they're called, but those big stanchions front that get in the water of the bridges because it, it kind of funnels current. And if it funnels current, it funnels bait fish. If it funnels bait fish, bass are gonna be there. So a lot of these bass fishermen were near this bridge, especially if they had the faster boats, they got there first, so they're, they're in this tournament and they're fishing. And they see the barge hit the, hit the piling and they see the, the 600 foot segment of the bridge come crashing down 62 feet. And they see cars starting, it's right, as, right on the peak of the bridge. So when people are coming up either way, because it's up here, they don't see it. They're just going off. And these, these people see these cars flying off. They see one man is stuck below, beneath the barge with his, his, his face barely out of the water. True story. 
And so one guy reaches into his, uh, his rod locker and he pulls out his standard safety equipment that you have to have if you're on the right kind of water. And he put, he put a, a, a flare in the little flare gun and he shot it up over the bridge. Because if you're down, 62 feet down, rushing water, wind, and all these cars, and you're not gonna be able to yell and have anyone hear you up over, through the wind, over the bridge, into the car, and have everyone, anyone have any idea where it's even coming from. But he shot this flare and it went up and it happened to hit the windshield of the next truck that was about to go over the edge. And it startled the driver so much that he slammed on the brakes and he turned, jackknifed the trailer a little bit. The two front tires of his, of his rig went off the edge. Then he was able to get it into reverse and back it up. Still jackknifed, but not off the bridge. And that saved all the other cars. They all slammed on their brakes, slammed on their brakes, slammed on their brakes. Because this one fisherman shot a warning flare that hit a windshield that stopped the trucker and hit. all these other lives were saved. And other people did what they should do. They took their type four, type, I think it's type four, um, throwable. And they got over by this guy that was underneath the barge and they, they threw that, that floatable in there. And then they got their, their dock lines out and they pulled them and they got him out and they saved his life. And it happened a few, three or four other people whose lives were saved. So dozens died. Others saw it. Many were saved because someone went poof. They shot a warning flare. Others who, someone is in the process of dying. Someone goes, here, here's a lifesaver and a rope. There is no doubt in my mind that everyone in this room, if you were sitting in a boat and you saw that and you had the equipment, you'd do exactly the same thing as they would. You would save, you would do everything you can to keep people from dying, and those who are dying, you do everything you can to save them. If their life is in jeopardy physically, everyone in this room would do the same thing. I don't need to finish the illustration. I don't need to make the point. Shoot the flare. Throw the throwable. Love those who are dying, even if they don't believe they are. Let's pray. Lord, open doors. Give us courage. Help us have the heart for others that you have for us. Lord, I know a lot of us see church and go and they expect the message to feed them. And Lord, I hope, you, I hope it does. I hope you feed them. I hope you give them something to chew on and to nourish them and to make them different than they are. But Lord, if we're old enough in you to know that we need to be fed, we're old enough to feed ourselves too. But then we're encouraged to feed others. Help us, Lord. Give your bread to people that are starving to give your shelter to the people that are freezing and to give your life-saving message to those who are dying. In Jesus' name, for your sake and your glory, amen. Paul multiplied, we spent all summer on it. Paul multiplied leaders, planted churches, and saturated the geography of the known world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we're talking about, then we talked about hospitality. Hint. And now we're in our core values, the things that we're not willing to. And then after that, there's going to be a challenge. And the number I give you will scare you a little bit. But after that, we're going to talk about how we're going to meet that challenge, how we're going to reach that goal. So we're not done today. You don't just go off and feel guilty. Keep coming. Keep hearing. Keep listening. Keep thinking. Keep praying. Asking God to open doors. Last thing. Christopher shared a 
Afrikaans word that his friend had taught him, and I'm just not going to be outdone. So I want to teach you, and this, is, this has to do with, with how people see God. The Moravian monks to the Inuit people, way up in the Alaska, you know, way, way up there years ago, they found out when they were going to, to evangelize this people, the Inuit people, that they had no concept of, so therefore no word for forgiveness. So they had to invent a word. And the word they came up with is this, Isumaji Jiaojiang Nainermik. Not making it up. I memorized it 15 years ago and I will never forget it. Isumaji Jiaojiang Nainermik. You know what it means? Not being able to think about it anymore. God remembers your sins no more. He chooses to no longer think about what you've done wrong. And there's a whole world of people that think that God only remembers what they've done wrong. And you get to tell them that in Christ, there is no condemnation. In Christ, there is mercy, there is grace, there is love, there is hope, and there is a God who says, I can no longer think about anything you've done wrong. That is a message of hope, a message of salvation, a message of eternity, and we are entrusted with it. Praise God that he chooses to use us to accomplish his will and to show his heart. The Lord bless you, and he has. The Lord keep you, and he will. The Lord make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance for you. God give you his face and smile at you, and then give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.